Hey, hustlers, welcome to the Hustle Show audio experience. Real, no filter conversations with successful entrepreneurs where we go over the harsh truth nobody told you about being an entrepreneur. And now, your host, Christian Ariola. Hey, hustlers, welcome to episode number 45 of the Hustle Show. My name is Christian Ariola, and I'm the host of the Hustle Show, where we have real, no filter conversations with successful entrepreneurs about the harsh reality that nobody told you about being an entrepreneur. Thank you so very much for tuning in to another episode of this amazing show and this amazing community that we're building here. And before we begin with our journey today, I just want to say that if you are new to the show or you just haven't done it yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button right now. Whether you're watching this in our YouTube channel, click the button below this video. Or if you're watching or listening um, in our audio podcast experience, make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well, as we will continue to create top-notch motivational content for you. And today we have an amazing guest. We have another crazy hustling story that I wanted to share with you. And this story is from Alpesh Patel. Uh, Alpesh is a public speaker and has appeared on several panels such as the Titan Academy, the GSMA, the African Leadership Network, the Wharton Africa Conference, and he's done tremendously well. You know, he's a, a very successful consultant and he just released the book that we're gonna have to talk about because I really like the title. I'll share with you that in a moment, but welcome Alpesh, welcome to The Hustle Show. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm excited because of all the things that you're doing. And at the same time, like we were talking earlier, you're the first person in the in the show, the first guest to be from the UK. So welcome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, great honor, actually, to uh, to represent uh, my country and, uh, and and be on your show. Yeah, be the first one from the UK. Awesome. So let's let's talk a little bit about your story. Let's talk a little more about that hassle that you went through to get to where you are right now. Where did where where did you get it started as an entrepreneur? How long was this, and what were you doing back then? Wow. So uh, you know, I I've obviously documented a lot of my my work in uh, in my in my book Tested, which is uh, it, this this uh, was released last June. It's now about to hit the majority of the stores in the UK and all over India. It's done very very well. We've got amazing reviews on 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 Amazon. And basically, the story uh, is is a collection of of uh, of stories of sub stories, which is my journey from the age of, of uh, I was I was the original refugee, you know. Um, we were kicked out of Uganda by Idi Amin back in the seventies, and we moved uh, where well, we were. We were forced to to move to the UK, and and I think that really started creating the entrepreneur bug, more so because when you leave everything behind, you have no choice but to stand up and make the most of your environment. Uh, and I think it, it really taught me, my family, um, the, the, the Asians in general from, from East Africa, it, it taught what we call resilience and, and getting back up. You know, like they say, it's, it's not, not the amount of times you get knocked down is how many times you get back up. Right. You know, that's what counts. And, and I think that, that really helped in my upbringing because it just gave me that, 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 that fire inside to say, you know what, there's a, there's a bigger world than just having a nine to five existence. Uh, and I'm not knocking the people who have a nine to five existence. I'm just saying that you know you're on this planet for eighty to ninety years. It's really up to us of how, how, how what we want to make of those eighty to ninety years and make those amazing years. And I'm blessed in a way that you know I've been able to have this entrepreneur journey from a very young age. My first hustle, as you would say, is is when I got to university. Um, I was getting a grant from the government 
it was like a government scholarship not really a scholarship i wasn't that smart but it was just a, just a government grant to uh to help you pay for your studies and all that and instead of uh, using that money to pay for my food and all that i basically took that money and i went to morocco um and i went with a friend of mine and we we found a lot of the um Uh, the fake leatherware from the the big brands like Louis Vuitton and everything and we said you know what this is really great we didn't go there looking for fake stuff we were just offered it when we were there and we said well you know what we could actually make more money with this with this stuff so you know i'm not proud of it but it is what it is from from back then and basically we we used our government money to buy all these goods and we <laughs> took them back to university and we sold them to all the all the rich nigerians wow <laughs> right and and basically we tripled our money and i I did that trip maybe four times in that first year of university and it wow. gave me money on the side that gave me a lifestyle or rather access to a lifestyle which is something that you know once you've tasted the good thing you you don't want to go back to normal life. Right. So that was my first entrepreneur kind of hustle bug knowing that you know what you can you can actually take $1 and make it two. Mhm. Mm yeah, definitely. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that's what kept me going in university. I had a great time in university because I you know i had money wow it's such a great story i mean it's it's definitely not the one that a lot of people share how they started the lemonade stand but still you know that that entrepreneurial bug that you just tried it out not because you wanted to start a business but you had the little bug inside that was that was itching and 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 you wanted to test out what is it like yeah and and, and you know i think one of the things that really got me itching was my was my need to travel I, you know i'm like a gypsy i thought um The fact that I mean I could have done so much other things in the UK, but I said let's you know, we're just looking in the library one day. I said, well, look, you know what, this country looks good, and we just pointed <laughs> at Morocco. And we just pointed at Morocco. We said, well, you know, this look, country looks very fascinating. Why don't we just go there and see what we can buy? Right. And we did some research. I mean, back in the day, there was no internet, so we did some research by looking at magazines and articles, and we knew that there was leather goods available in Morocco that they made in Morocco, like leather jackets and leather bags. Right. So we went to buy leather bags and leather jackets. Not knowing that we would switch, in 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 today's term, it's called a pivot, right? Right. We would pivot and buy Louis Vuitton, and knowing that the margins would be much higher, and and the, and selling would be easier. Nice. So, what happens after this gig? How long was this running? And then what happens? So this after? was running for a couple of years in university. Then I graduated, and and then I never really got a corporate job. I I basically um, uh, went and sold kitchens. Uh, uh, okay. uh, you know, designer kitchens. Yeah, I, right. I, I was part of a part of a boiler room operation where they would they would cold call families and get your appointments to go and see these families to try and sell them a kitchen. So I did that for a few months, and then I started going getting into the mobile phone business, which is, which at that time I didn't know, but I was going to be in this game for the next 20, 30 years. Right. So really, you know, that was kind of my calling in terms of this is the industry I'm going to be in. Um, and my real first deal was when I. Um, one day I was, well, I started selling phones in London. And then one day I went and put up a notice board in the Hong Kong Trade Council office that I've got phones to sell. And again, the whole Asian economies, they kind of fascinated me, you know? And I'm like, next thing on the map is I, I want to do something with Asia. Mm -hmm. So I was done with the Morocco thing and then I was looking at Asia. And I, you know, out of the blue, like two months later, I got a call from the Hong Kong Council, Hong Kong Trade Council saying there's someone in Hong Kong that wants to buy 183 Motorola phones. Wow. Yeah, so I'm like, um, okay. Now, I didn't have those phones. <laughs> right. I, but I just said, yes. Right. No problem. I've got it. <laughs> right. But I didn't have the phones. 
Next thing you know, the guy has come to London with a bag of cash. And he comes to my apartment straight from the airport. He says, okay, where's the phones? And I'm like, listen, I've got to go and get the phones. I don't, I didn't know where to get the phones from. And I didn't have the money to buy 183 phones. Right. So now I'd made sure that I, but you know, and it taught me a very important thing. You know, don't, don't just give your word. You know, your, my word is my bond. I gave this guy my word that I've got the phones and I'm going to, I'm going to sort him out. And I didn't have it. But when he turned up on my doorstep and he showed me the bag of cash, I had to become very serious and say, oh, shit, I better find these phones for this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I started calling around and I managed to get a supplier, but I didn't want this buyer to come with me to the supplier because then he would know who my supplier is. Right. So I had to call an uncle and say, do you know anyone that can help me finance this deal? And luckily for me, he had a he had some guy that 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 did this all the time, working like a middleman. Uh-huh. And so we arranged the deal in such a way that we would open a letter of credit to the supplier. Okay. The, the stock would then be delivered to a freight warehouse in at, at the airport in London. Me and my Chinese buyer will go there, inspect the stock, and he will hand over his cash. Okay. It that was sounds, like a that, real. Like that sounds a, like, like a mafia thing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was because you know there's this like it was like I just did not want this guy meeting my 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 supplier. Right, because then it came over yeah. for me. Yeah, um, and at the same time, I didn't want my supplier meeting this guy. But in that process, what happened was that we managed to do the deal. It took us about three months, but we managed to do the deal. And as he left, as he left the, uh, uh, as he left London, he said, "I expect you. To, I expect to see you in China in the next six weeks." So I'm like, "For what?" He <laughs> said, "No, you're gonna be, you're gonna be with me when we open these phones in front of his customer." Wow. Right. right. Uh, on that deal, I, on that deal, I made fifty thousand pounds. Wow. Right? Fifty thousand pounds in nineteen eighty nine. Right. Is probably equivalent to half a million today, if right. not more. Right. So, I told my mom, "Listen, I'm going to Hong Kong. See you later." I went to Hong Kong six weeks later. I went with my Chinese guy to the port in China. I was this was going from Hong Kong into 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 southern China, which was still under Chinese communist control. Gotcha. And it's it's all in my book. I mean, it's amazing. I, I never forget that day. We were at the port, and can you imagine a wooden pallet? And can you imagine like thirty Chinese people just running towards this pallet with hacksaws and and uh, and and hammers and all that, and like a like 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 vultures mm-hmm. opening this pallet because they were so excited to see these Motorola phones. Because remember, there was no phones in China at that time. Right. And I was standing there saying, I was just dreading and saying, I hope the phones are in there. I hope they're not broken. I hope they're not stolen. Right. You know, because this is the first time I've done an international consignment. And now I'm in a foreign country with Chinese, 30 Chinese guys, and I'm the only foreigner there. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like shitting it, You're man. You're on your I'm own, like, oh, man. man. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you know, like, you know when Moses, Moses lifted up the, the, his, his staff and the, and the sea parted, uh, all of a sudden, this, the, the sea of Chinese guys parted and one guy just walked through and he looked like the main boss of, of this whole of this whole thing and then he took out his phone he took the phone out of the box and he started peeling it uh, peeling the sticker off it and because i knew those phones anyway so i helped him put the battery in and then you know we turned the the, the phone on this is one of those bricks big brick motorola phones right and then we turned the phone on and it came on and the guy just lifted it up like a world cup trophy like look at this like a world cup trophy like <laughs> yeah it works it works <laughs> and the whole everyone just cheered and that night, I mean, basically, I was like the VIP, right? You know, uh, because I was like, I brought them something that they've never seen in their lives. And while we were at karaoke that night, because that's how they entertained back in those days, mm-hmm. that very night, he told me, "Listen, you know what? 
I want another 200 phones. Wow. Yeah. And that started my journey into selling phones to China. <laughs> so I moved to Hong Kong very quickly after that. I moved to Hong Kong. And basically from 1990 to 94, I was one of the biggest phone traders into China. I, I made my first million dollars by the age of 23. Wow. Yeah. And it was my, it was my, my thing where I'm, and, and in hindsight, obviously I could have done much better. I could have invested my money wiser. I was offered a lot of things that at that time, because of my immaturity, I never took. Like I was offered one of the first Hotmail email addresses. I was offered to set up one of the first phone retail chain stores in, in, in Hong Kong. But, you know, because the money was so good, I didn't look at anything else. Right. But I became complacent. Right. And I didn't have a vision. And this is what I talk about when I do my talks today, when I do my training, talking to young entrepreneurs is don't get it twisted. You know, if you're lucky enough to make some money very quickly off your product, you've got to think about what's what you've got to think what's next. Okay. Right. Don't get complacent. Don't take anything for granted. I took everything for granted because I would wake up in the morning and there would be money in my account because I had a product that had more demand than supply. Right. But that's a luck. That's just because, you know, and it's become worse today because today there's just so much, com so much more competition. Right. So, you know, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about the good side was, you know, you've got to venture out of your comfort zone. I ventured out of my London comfort zone mm -hmm. and your life only really begins once you step outside of your comfort zone. Definitely. Right. And going 6,000 miles to a place like Hong Kong and China where I didn't know. Anything, but I'm like, you know what? You've got to have a bit of balls. As an entrepreneur, you've got to have some balls. Yeah. If you're scared, don't do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, no. it's good to be scared. It's good to be scared. Don't get me wrong. It's good to be scared. It's good to have that little bit of fear. Fear is very important because it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to give you that adrenaline rush to, to get things done. But if you are really, really scared, about certain things then really don't do it right and and i think you're you're talking about that you know that um you know that fear that is actually motivating you and driving you not the one that paralyzes you and and just blocks your mind that you know i can't do this it's a it's a different mindset it's a different mindset and the way the way i, I look at it today and the way i've always looked at it is my my faith in the unknown Okay. Is greater than my fear of the unknown. I like that. That's a good way to, yeah. to say that's, it. That's, that's what I say. Your faith, your faith in the unknown as an entrepreneur should be greater than your fear of the unknown. Right? Whatever you're doing, you must have some belief that, you know what? Even if I do screw up, what's the worst that can go wrong? Right. At least I tried. At least I tried. Right. You know, yeah. if you don't try, you're not going to get, man. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. If you do not take that jump, you're not going to be able to know what's on the other side. Yeah, exactly. And I know you have, I know you definitely had the balls to try this out, to do everything that you were doing. And you obviously had that little fear that was motivating you as well. But how about your mindset back then? How, did you ever have thoughts where you, where you just, you know, maybe thought you were not you know, you were not going to succeed on this. Why even try? Did you ever have those type of thoughts? No, I was, I was daring. I was much more daring then than I am today because today I've been kind of like, you know, I've been through so many failures and I, I know obviously the whole thing is learning through your failures and learning through your mistakes to get better and obviously being a bit more cautious. I was a wild guy. I was a wild guy because you know what? The money just kept on coming in. 
So when that money comes in like that and you, you know, you just don't have anyone around you who can give you mentorship, who can give you advisory, who can tell you, listen, let's, let's structure this into something a bit that, that can take us to the next level. You know, let's, let's buy some properties. Let's, let's invest in the phone retail shop. Let's, let's create a, like a future Amazon. Let's create a future Apple. You know, right. We didn't have that. We didn't, I didn't have that mindset at that time. I didn't have that vision. I didn't have that, 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 uh, that, that, um, that long-term um, approach for me, it was okay. Where are we partying tonight? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Who can I buy drinks for tonight? Can right. we go to Thailand? Can we go to Phuket tomorrow for the weekend? Yep. Drinks are on me. The whole trip is on me. That's that was my mindset. Right. Very shallow, very very um, immature. Remember, I was twenty three, but it was where you know you're given something and you don't know and you know you 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 just don't know how to handle it. And that that's what I was. I I was given something and I didn't make use of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? So so today when I look at young entrepreneurs who are doing really well. 99% entrepreneurs are not doing well. 1% who are on a roll. I tell them, guys, you're on a roll, but you need to make that roll a bit more longer last. Exactly. Yeah. So and- my mindset was very my mindset was very daring, and that's probably why I did certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you were. But that doesn't mean I. That doesn't mean I was smart. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting. It's not. It's not that. You know, you were you were taking it based on you know decisions based on what you thought the outcome was going to be. It was more because you you were just challenged. And you just want to do it. Correct. That's awesome. Correct. Correct. And, and you know, being the first one to do it. Right. You know, being one of the first guys to sell phones to China, and now China selling everything back to us thirty years later. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I was one of the first guys to sell phones into China. Right. Right. Yeah. You, for you sure. You can't take that. You can't take that away from. From my history, I mean, you know, it, it's it's there. It's proof. It's you know, a lot of the guys who, who know me from that part. I mean, they they know that they, uh, you know, there's some young Indian guy was the only guy bringing phones in his suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Trafficking <Yeah>. phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how many failures do you go through after this to get to the company that you're running right now? I went through quite a few failures because after that, I lost all my money. I lost all my money. Um, one of the things that I, I tried to do, and again, um, you know, I didn't do a lot of things because I was so caught up in my own lifestyle, but the phone business started becoming competitive. The people in the UK and all that starting to understand, okay, there's something going on in China. Maybe we should go and check it out. So, you know, a lot more players came into the game and I, didn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't solidified my, situa- my position, which right. I should have. So I started looking at some crazy things. And, and one thing I looked at is I bought two machines. Um, it was a product called SafeBag, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And SafeBag was created by my friend. He was an inventor in Spain. And I said, you know what? I think this is the next big thing. So we bought two machines. And basically what it is, is we went to all the airports in Asia, the Hong Kong airport, Beijing airport. And we tried to sell them these small machines that you actually put your luggage in and it wraps the plastic around your luggage. Okay. I've seen those. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 1994 this was everyone said nope no way i got shut down by all the airports okay i didn't even have money then to even sell the machines to someone i think i left them in my freight agent i don't know what happened and what happened there was i did not have the patience and the consistency to develop that business today because today that business today in every airport in the world you will see a luggage wrapping machine and the guy who owns all this stuff is a multi-billionaire right Right, we were too early for our game, 1994, 
But what we did not do is we did not have the patience to stick with what we thought was going to be the next game changer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I tell entrepreneurs today is that if you are, if you have a product which is which no one else is doing, keep on tweaking it, keep on tweaking it until you find a market for it. But don't give up so quickly like I did. Mm-hmm. Just because it did not pay me like the phone business, I gave up. Right. Yeah, you you, know? you, you came from you know just tr- starting out and making money really fast going into a real journey that was going to take you years so i can definitely understand and and again you know this was back in your 20s right still yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so you know i mean uh, that was a that was a mistake or rather a failure for not being able to take that safe bag vision to the next level because that is today is a beautiful business you know everywhere in the world everyone is wrapping their bags The the, uh, the after that I, I I left Hong Kong I, I spent a little bit of time in Tokyo uh, teaching English I didn't have any money so I had to I, I started working teaching English and then a friend of mine said you know what you 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 may want to come out to South Africa and, and you know just start doing some trading I went to South Africa was very very tough I got into a little bit of the music game I tried to sell some CDs I really I was lost I was lost because all that money that I had was gone I had to basically start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, uh, then I met my 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 future wife, and uh, you know, it's really bad when you have no money in your pocket, but you 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 meet the girl of your dreams, if anything, you know. Right. And you're like, oh shit, how am I even going to buy her a drink, you know? Right. Um, but what happened then is I had just no choice. Um, kept on hustling a bit here, trying to do this, trying to do that. But what happened then is, luckily for me, uh, an American company called Harris Corporation, which is a, a large a microwave network company. Uh, contacted me via my brother and were looking for someone to help them in Africa for their sales. Now, I didn't have anything to lose and I wanted a salary. I wanted to get just have some normalcy. And so at the age of 33, I got my first corporate job. Okay. You know, I was a hustler entrepreneur from the age of 18 till 33. So my youth, my youth was full of money, party, You know, it's like um, uh, it, it was really a crazy and a wild time. And then I'm like, look, I've got to get a bit serious now. So at 33, I got my job with Harris. I uh, love the love the monthly paycheck. And basically, I started going around the whole of Africa selling the most expensive microwave radios to some of the poorest countries in the world. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I found out that I have a skill for selling because I did not know jack about technical SDH and PDH microwaves. I didn't know anything about that. I just blagged it. Right. I but I knew how to talk to people and I knew how to my my skill set from dealing with my Hong Kong days, dealing with different cultures, my skill set was all about how to talk to people and how to get people to do things the way you want them to be done. Okay. Interesting. Right? And that's how I yeah, that's how I became pretty successful in Harris. I started getting some good orders, not because I knew the business, again, I should have learned it a bit more, but because I just knew how to connect the dots. You know? And I knew that at the end of the day, every organization has a certain pain point and it's your job as a salesman not to try and sell them something, but try, try and sell them a solution to their problem. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. So I, I, when, I, when, I, when I train salespeople today about cold calling, about um, uh, you know, strategic selling, it's not because I'm a guru at sales. It's just because I went through the hard knocks of how to sell. And I've sold in some of the toughest markets. Definitely. You know? uh, and uh, with all due respect to the salespeople in the U.S., You know, you still got a bit of an ecosystem. You know, there's there's a bit of a, a polished attitude towards it. But I mean, literally, I was in the jungle, <laughs> right? I was yeah. literally in the jungle selling stuff 
that I'm not meant to be selling, but getting it sold and making money out of it and, and, and getting uh, some kind of success. Um, it was quite boring for me, though, because it was more of a B2B. And when I left Harris, I then got a, a job with Motorola. Oh, right? okay. Then, yeah, Motorola was the first phone that I sold to, to the Chinese. So I'm like, wow, I've got to go for this job because it, it was something that the karma was selling me that, you know, I made my first money with Motorola. I'm sure I can make more, you know, my second money with, with joining Motorola again. And I joined them in 2002 as their business manager for Africa. Uh, they were doing about 40,000 phones a year. Uh, it was probably one of the best times of my life. From 2002 to 2007, you know when you're in the zone? You know, I was in the zone, right? And everything I touched basically turned to gold. Um, it was, it was uh, the trading business from Hong Kong, the experience from selling to the operators with Harris, all of that combined to sell um, uh, mobile phones into Africa. And within five years, I'd done 500 million. I, I generated $500 million in revenue for Motorola, and I quickly, very quickly became the director of Middle East and Africa. Wow. Yep. Yep. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a brilliant, brilliant uh, ride. You know, it was, Motorola was at, at its peak, and everyone wanted our product, and we were number one in a lot of markets. And, you know, I, I had a great time. Right. I had a great time. But, you know, I started becoming a bit rebellious, you know, um, with my company because I'm like, we're making so much money for Motorola, but what are you guys putting back into Africa? Right. What are you guys investing back in Africa? And, you know, I'm an African uh, and, you know, patriotic about my continent and, you know, we, we, we're generating a lot of business, but, you know, you're not giving me more people, you're not giving me more marketing spend, you're not giving me more resources to build offices and things. So I started fighting. Okay. And it became problematic to the stage where I, I, I just said, look, I've got to leave. And, when I left Mot Motorola in 2007, I had very good offers with other companies. I said, no, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. So I set up my phone. My phone is the first African devices brand, which I set up in 2008. Oh, wow. Yep. The first African devices brand. Low cost feature phones and then soon to be smartphones to empower a whole continent. You know, gotcha. no one was doing it at the time. No one was taking care of the continent in the way that I wanted to take care of it. And and again, you know, I'm proud to say on the day we opened, April 2008, we had we already had our first purchase order. For how, so for how many? Unlike from for five thousand phones, hundred thousand dollar order. Wow, yeah. not bad, not bad. You know, pretty right. good profit. And got it from an upper, uh, a telco carrier in Ghana. And again, this was only because we knew what we were doing because I had known the phone business for so long. Mm -hmm. We knew the terrain because I'd been doing Motorola and Harris for so long. So it's a combination of all these um, experiences brought together that created, that helped create my phone. So again, another message to entrepreneurs is if you're going to start something, try and get some experience in that. You know, don't go and just go and uh, make a pizza. You know, go and work with a pizza company first and think about how can you make that pizza better? Right, That's, you get me. Yeah, very interesting. Actually. You know, how, how, yeah, how do you how do you make things better? And how do that same thing? How do I make Motorola or what what I was doing in Motorola better, but more applicable to my market? Mm -hmm. Motorola never had a phone less than fifty dollars in price. My first phone was twenty dollars. Right, more accessible. Same, same, same look and feel, same look and feel as a Motorola. Mm -hmm. You get me. Yeah. So, and we put and we put the carrier's logo on it, 
with our logo. And I knew that Motorola and Nokia would never put anyone else's logo on it. So that was my that was my edge. That's how I got the first first order because I was flexible with my with my branding. <laughs> right? I said, yeah. carrier, I said, look, you know, next to my brand, I'll give you your brand. No problem for me. Right. Of course the carrier's got ego. They've got their own pride. They're like, what? Well, okay, I'll fetch here's the order because they want their name on the phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. right. So that's what we call kind of innovation. It's taking a traditional business model and flipping the script. Right. That's what innovation <laughs> is. Innovation is just taking a traditional business model and flipping the script. Mm-hmm. And that's what started that's what started going uh really well for us with uh, with my phone and it started becoming a, a pretty substantial company something else that put us on the map internationally was the my obama phone the day obama became president i came out with an obama phone wow you can google it right now you can google it right now it was amazing the amount of press we got out of it because i figured out that if you could if you could put obama on a t-shirt or a coffee mug i could put him on a phone you know? <laughs> that's what we did and we sold this phone only in kenya and at the back of the phone, we had Obama with Yes, We Can. Wow. And we sold this in Kenya because he's half Kenyan. Uh-huh. Yeah, we sold 10,000 in like three weeks. Everyone's raving on about it. The internet is going crazy. And we start getting more and more inquiries about, can you, can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? And because of that, we got an order from Western Union to make a Western Union phone. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Great, great, great ride. We had a great ride. And, you know, it was... Um, it was great, but this was like the biggest and longest hustle that I've ever had because I, from, from 2008, I never raised a penny. I put my own life savings into my phone. Mm-hmm. I never raised any money. I tried. I knocked on so many doors. Even though we were profitable, we were successful. At one, Our largest turnover in 2011 was probably around 7 to $8 million a year. You know, If I had been in Silicon Valley, I would have been funded a long time ago Right. because we would have been part of an ecosystem. But in Africa, you're on your own. No one believed in our vision. No one believed in us, nothing. So at, at one point, we were in 17 countries. You know, we, we generated probably between 2008 and 2014, we generated close to $40 million in revenue. Wow. Yeah. And, and again, and then I, you know, and then I started is... feeling the pain. I started feeling the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, you're, 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 you're in an ecosystem that is not designed to help you, but at the same time, you're, cha- you're changing lives because you're creating jobs, you're helping the economy. So you are, you know, it's like a win-win situation there. It's a win-win situation. It's a, it's, you know, the problem is that, you know, we, we were up against, we were the David versus Goliaths, you know. We were up against Samsung, Nokia. These guys had deep, deep pockets when it came to marketing spend. We didn't. So we were always fighting for market share. We were always fighting to get shelf space. And just to win some accounts or win some countries' businesses, I had to give credit. That was my biggest mistake ever because the minute I started giving credit, my cash flow started becoming in trouble. Gotcha. Because I had not raised money, I would take from Peter to pay Paul. I was juggling cash. It's all in my book. Mm-hmm. How you build a business when you have no funding. Mm-hmm. My phone is a classic worldwide case study guinea pig on how you build a business that spans more than 10 countries with zero to start with and zero funding from outside. Wow, interesting. And I think that so would we, be, we, that would be we just an episode that. on its own. Talk about how you did that. <laughs> correct, correct. And yeah. that, that's, that's what really kept us going. I mean, we even tried to innovate our whole, you know, our whole business model 
by um, uh, I don't know if you you, you know that um, you know in 20, 2013, 2014, I was flicking through the phone, right? And uh, I just want to show you now. I was flicking through the phone, and um, we saw too many um, uh, yellow smileys. You know, we said, how, how do we give ourselves the edge in the market in Africa? How do we how do we how do we do something a bit more African? And in 2014, we launched um, Oju. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but we launched the world's first black smileys. Yeah, I can see them. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. We launched the world's first black smileys in 2014, even before Apple did. It's Again, it's all documented in the book. We had Huffington Post write about us, CNN write about us. You would have thought that black smileys would have changed the whole game for us. Right. You know? The problem is we never, we were never able to raise the funding to take this to the next level. Right. So, you know... It's it's kind of sad that we had so all these good ideas, we had all this business, real business that we were doing, but we people would still not believe in our vision. Mm-hmm. So we exactly. we continued just hustling on our own. Finally, it got to the stage where I was in so much trouble. I was in so much trouble financially, in terms of uh, money owing to us. Couldn't pay my salaries. We had overexpanded. I had to, I had to say yes to someone that wanted to buy the company and. In 2014, I managed to sell 51% of my brand to a $5 billion public listed company. Okay. So for me, a very, very proud moment that we were able to take an African startup from nothing and exit to a $5 billion company. Uh, obviously, we wish we made the billions, but we didn't. Um, <laughs> we, were, we, we, we made a little bit of money, but you know, the fact is that we, we had an exit. Right. And it's every entrepreneur's dream is to have an exit. Right. We didn't IPO. We didn't go and do a listing on the stock market. We were bought out. We were not bought out by private equity or VC. We were bought out by a conglomerate. They checked us out because they're a public listed company. They checked us, all our paperwork out. They checked everything out and we passed the test. Which again, I go back to entrepreneurs today and say, don't take any shortcuts in when you build your business. Gotcha. Make sure your paperwork is right. Make sure your governance is right. Um, we never paid one single bribe in Africa, which is notorious for bribes. We never paid one. We never gave one brown envelope to anyone full of cash. If we had, trust me, I would have probably been much, much more successful. Because that's how things are done in Africa. Right. We wanted to remain true to ourselves. We wanted to, you know, today we walk, we're not looking over our shoulder. You know, we wanted to remain, we wanted to have those ethics and the consciousness that, you know what, you can actually build a good business you know, in a very legal way by just sticking to being true to yourself. And I think that every entrepreneur needs that. Every entrepreneur yeah. needs to, don't sell out. Don't sell out. Right. You know, keep it real. Keep it keep, keep it true to yourself because your reward will come in one form or another. It will come. That's awesome. That's a great story. And I mean, you know, you, you talk a little bit about this, the hustle, the struggles, all the journey and everything. How did this transition into becoming a speaker and a, and, a, and a consultant and then now writing your book, publishing your book? Because you know what? I, I, I'm, again, one of those few entrepreneurs that actually, even though I exited the business on paper. So if you go to one of my chapters towards the end of the book, maybe two, three chapters towards the end of the book, the day I sold the company, I mean, I could have ended the book there. I could have ended the book there right. where, you know, I sold 51% of my business to a billion dollar company. I get into my private jet and I fly off into the sunset. 
you know, it would have been a great ending. They would have been, ah, oh, brilliant ending, great. But I said, no, no. I want to tell the truth. Right. I want to tell the truth about what happens after an entrepreneur gives up his business and what is what we call the post-acquisition blues. What happens after the exit? Mm -hmm. Not many people talk about that. Everyone talks about, oh, I sold my business. I made 10 million. Great. You're a hero. I didn't want to be a hero because I would have lied to myself. I wanted to tell the truth what happened afterwards. And what happened afterwards was the worst time in my whole life. Because I hear, hear it here now. Um, um, sorry. Here now I'm complaining about not having money. And all of a sudden I get money and I get this big brother behind me, uh, a big uh, trade buyer. And now my hands are tied. Because before I'm making decisions in five minutes. Now it's taking me five weeks to get a dis uh, an approval. Right. I'm in a system where I feel now all the things that these guys had bought, they wanted to change. They wanted to change the very thing that they bought. The very thing that excited them about my phone, they wanted to change. So it became an internal battle of, of mind and wit. Right. You know? It was an entrepreneur versus a very corporate company. So I started getting frustrated. I felt like a, like a, like a, like a tiger in a cage. You know? And you can never put, put someone in me in a cage because it's just going to it's just going to go wrong. I've always been, I've always been used to be doing my own thing. So, um, you know, I managed to, we continued doing the business. Then there was a big recession in Africa in 2015, 2016. We, with the new investors, we, you know, we, the currencies, uh, meant that our order, our orders slowed down. So everything kind of came to a real standstill. I said, you know what? I'm going to take some time out here because I was completely burnt out. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think the cream on the cake for that burning out was, was, uh, was uh, Xiaomi from China. Xiaomi is one of the largest mobile phone uh, companies in the world. They also have the MI brand. And all of a sudden, they just came into Africa. Not, not doing their research that there was already a MyPhone brand in Africa fully registered for the last nine years. Right. So now, as an African, I had to now fight to with, uphold the, the, my brand rights. That meant talking with lawyers. That meant, you know, frustration, a lot of legal frustration in Africa. Because in Africa, you know, there's, it's not like rule of law like in the US or in, in the UK. You know, the lawyers can be bought and sold all the time. And all of a sudden, I'm in a frustration legal battle. That means I'm not focusing on building my business. Right. So I think a combination of all of these things led me to burning out. I was completely burnt out. You know, I, imagine, I was completely yeah. fizzled. I was fizzled out. Right. So I, 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 I took time out of the business and that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to start, I, I need to express all the pain that's inside me. I need to express it. And the only way I could express it is, is to put pen to paper and, and, and God's honest truth. Um, I wrote 95,000 words in my own writing. It took me six weeks. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, it took me December 10th, 2016. So January 28th, 2017 is when I wrote the first draft of my manuscript. I didn't, I didn't want to use a ghostwriter because I wanted this story to be real. So when you read this book, it's like a narrative. It's like I'm talking with you now. You know, it's just, I'm just telling you my story in a very casual, informal manner, telling you about the journey and the hardships of entrepreneurship. And this book is not really a how to do things. It's more about how not to do things. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a book of mistakes. It's a book of mistakes 
lots of successes, but lots of failures. And that's why I call it tested. Right. You know, and, and people say, well, why did you call it tested? I'm like, well, from the day you're born to the day you die, what happens in between is you, you go through a series of tests in life. Exactly. Right? Some, of these, some of these tests you will, you will win, but most of the tests in life you will fail. Right. And that's why I call it tested because I have been tested so thoroughly in the art of success and I've seen a lot of money in my life. And, but also I've, I've been tested in the art of failure. I've seen a lot of, I've seen the dark side of entrepreneurship, which people do not talk about, the, the psychological effects, the depression, the emotional toll it takes on when your dream crumbles in front of you, you know, and the fact that today you're judged, you're judged today by how much money did you raise. Right. That's yeah. bullshit. That's yeah. bullshit. You should yeah. not be judged on how much, how many lives did you change? I don't want to know about your numbers anymore. I don't want to know how many, how much numbers you made today. How many people did you, did you make smile today? Do you get me? Right. How, do you, how many people's lives did you change today with your product or your service? That for me is where I've evolved into. Yes, I was a money guy before. Now I've evolved into, because of the pain, because of the internal self awareness that has become more and more important to me, I have just become much more into when I create a business today or when I talk to people today, I'm like, what, what problem are you solving as an entrepreneur? Why should someone buy your product or service when there's 20 or 25 other guys doing the same thing? Right. What is your unique value proposition? You know, and it's not about being the best at what you do. An entrepreneur's greatest challenge is to be the only one to do what you do. Right. When you're the only one to do what you do, then you have a business. Yeah. I agree 100% with everything that you're saying. And, and it's definitely quite an interesting book. Um, and just for everybody that is listening, how can they get a hold of this book? Well, it's on Amazon. It's tested. Okay. Um, uh, tested and the subtitle is, uh, which again is one of my, I had to put the subtitle. It says the dream is free. But the hustle comes at a cost. Yeah. You know, we can all dream. We can all dream as much as we want. But if we're not willing to put in the hustle, which is blood, sweat, tears, money, whatever, and execute your on your vision, then it's not going to happen. All right. So be, pre be prepared to pay the price to achieve your dream. Excellent. And I'll make sure that I link in the show notes too. So that yeah, it's, it's, out, it's, out on, it's out on Amazon, amazon.com. It's out in the US. You can, you know, if you order it today, you'll get the copy by tomorrow. I think US... 12-hour delivery or something. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen on, uh, um, I'm actually very keen on coming over to the States sometime this year to start uh, talking about the book as well as talking to young entrepreneurs and also helping U.S. entrepreneurs that want to grow internationally, you know, because a lot of U.S. entrepreneurs are very focused on just the U.S. market. But actually, you know what? There's a big, big world out there. And, and mm -hmm. U.S., the hotbed of innovation and technology. Don't just sit on your great thing and, and keep it local. You know, let, help, help the world with it. Right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing your entire story, being very honest, transparent, and and showing us the hustle that you went through to get to where you are right now. And I wanna I wanna change gears a little bit, talking from your story now to play a little word game that I like to call the hustle round, where I'm basically okay. gonna give a word at you, and the very first word that comes to mind, that's where you're gonna say out loud. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Hustle. Work. Employee. Uh, team member. Boss. Team member. College. 
College or colleague? College. College. Yes. Like study. Yeah. 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 Learn. Fear. Uh, action. Weakness. Strength. Strengths. Weakness. Motivation. Inspiration. Books. Read. And last but not least, Alpesh Patel. The original hustler. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. When you said the strengths and weaknesses, I had a reason why 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 I flipped it over, but we can get into that sometime. Yeah. I think your biggest strength today is uh your your a combination of your weaknesses, right? And, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And to all the hustlers that are listening to us right now, you definitely went through the hustle. You went through all the pain and struggles, ups and downs, everything that entrepreneurship represents and that you have to go through before you can become, you know, the 20, 30-year overnight success. What would you say to them to inspire them to keep pushing, to keep hustling, to keep working towards their dreams? Well, you know, my, the main thing is like, I, please do not do not live in a bubble. You know, yes, you have a dream, but if you're going to bring that out into the open, into the marketplace, you know, others have to buy into that dream. You know, so how practical is your vision? And then are you ready to put in the work to transform your vision into reality? And then in order to scale your business, are you ready to let go, which I didn't, are you ready to let go of some of your ego, some of your pride in owning all your business, letting go to having um, really, really smarter people in your team than you are. And I think that was my biggest downfall is I never surrounded myself with smarter people. I think today the companies that scale, it's easy to go from one to, you know, from $1 to a million dollars, right? You can probably do that just you and maybe someone, some couple of other guys. But to, to go from like 1 million to 10 million, you've got to start scaling. And are you ready for that scale? You will not be able to do that on your own. You need to bring in a team. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And you need to bring in people who are much smarter than you, who can help you scale to become a $50, $100 million business. Because your mindset has always been that one to $1 million mindset, because that's how you got started. Right. You know? So you've got to be ready to let go, bring in the experts who can then help you flourish so that you focus on what you do best and let the experts cover for your weaknesses. Awesome. Yeah, definitely it's very agree. important. It's very important to do that. Even if you have to pay and don't pay peanuts, because if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. <laughs> That's a great way to explain it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. I appreciate all the honesty. And just before we leave here, I want I want people to be able to connect with you, whether they need help, they need, you know, a speaker, they want to check out the book. And how can they connect with you and how can they find out more about you? So um, I'm my, my website is www.peshmode.com. Peshmode is P-E-S-H-M-O-D-E. And that is basically Pesh, which is my nickname, and Mode, which is my modus operandi. This is how I do things. So peshmode.com is my, is my website. You can go there, check out all my videos, check out all my, my YouTube links, um, um, uh, you know, articles on my book and all the press that we've had. I'm on Instagram at I am Peshmode. I'm on Twitter, I am Peshmode. I'm on LinkedIn, I am Peshmode. 
and and just follow me and uh, you know uh, go on a journey with me on you know traveling all over the world. And if you ever need any of my uh, my my services in your neck of the woods, then please you know send send, send me an email. My email address is is, in, is on the website. Awesome, and I'll make sure that I link everything in the show notes as well. Thehustleshow.co. Again, Alpesh, thank you so very much. I want to thank you. You know, very grateful to have the opportunity and the honor to share your story, share your struggle, share your the hustle that you went through to be to get to where you are right now. Um, right now, we're living into this social media overnight myth that we all think that it's going to happen right away. And you know, that's what we're here for: trying to show people and inspire them that it's going to take a little longer than they're expected. But it's going to be definitely the, the, the reward at the end. So thank you so much for being honest today and for being here. Thank you very much. And can I just say something on a, on a, on a final closing note, uh, especially when you talk about social media? You know, today, you know, uh, what, what we have on Facebook and all that, that's not reality, you know. You know, there, there's, a, there's a real pain behind the scenes. And in, in the tech world, the tech entrepreneurs, everyone wants to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Right? right. If you don't do your homework, if you don't do your homework, you're going to end up being the next Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> right? Because you got suckered into entrepreneurship thinking it's a glamorous lifestyle. It's not. It's not. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Hustle Show audio experience. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And even if you didn't, make sure you subscribe to the podcast right now. It's still free. Visit thehustleshow.co for all the show notes and to watch the video experience of this episode. We'll see you soon.